Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Well, I'm Alex First and this is Travel First. And with me, as usual, looking forward to speaking with him, Chris Coleman. G'day, Chris. Greetings to you, Alex. Looking forward to this one because we're going to complete London, which if you're listening to Travel First Edition 3, you might think you left rather abruptly to head off to Scotland. So we'll bring you the tail end of that. And a couple of bits of travel advice, general travel advice to share today as well. Exactly. Well, we, we arrived at Edinburgh, as I mentioned. It was only an hour and 20 minute trip on the way back. We also had a fantastic experience. We actually flew Ryanair, which I hadn't flown before. It was fine. No problems at all. Ushered straight through, no queue whatsoever at security. So, I mean, both going to and from Edinburgh was about as smooth a passage as I could have experienced. It was great. Really good. And at the other end, we arrived in London, was the evening. Bear in mind, we were there in December, so it was dark, 8.20 at night, Caught a train back to Liverpool Street Station from where we caught a tube to the nearest station and then a five-minute walk to our hotel. So it was great. And we actually tried different establishments and we stayed at a backpacker's retreat called Generator London. That would have been a bit of a change for you, a backpacker's. It was fantastic. I hadn't tried it for years. It was really, really funky. 37 Tavistock Place in Bloomsbury, if you don't mind. (laughs) Very, very neat. You know, great vibe architecturally benefits from the use of reclaimed timbers, exposed brick walls and and black steel. Nice combination, you know, really great. And sort of, I suppose you'd call it urban chic or modern industrial, you know, one or the other, but really great. I I love exposed timbers. I think it's fantastic. And, And with the brick, it worked beautifully. Really, really great. It was opened in 1995 and recently Generator London underwent an eight million pound refurbishment that's 16 million bucks that's um that's a bit of money it is a bit of money but you know it's it's a big place 872 beds that's (laughs) that's a lot of beds 212 rooms 20 new ensuite twin rooms and there's also now wait for this a newly redone cinema there's a cafe and bar area and the first floor a hive of activity People are extremely sociable. I mean, that's what, after all, backpackers are all about. So if you're interested in finding out more, best place to go is the Generator Hostels website, which is www.generatorhostels.com. Generator, T-O-R, of course, generatorhostels.com. As I say, really enjoyed it. Can highly recommend Generator London. We basically spent a couple of nights here, a couple of nights there, and and that that way I've been able to talk about Different places and all of them have been very, very good. So mm-hmm. we had we had a good experience. Now, as it was in the evening, we, we sort of uh, caught, caught a, bit, a few few hours of shut-eye and then we had a quick breakfast. And breakfast was included, by the way, which is really good. And you're, you're sitting there with your um, fellow backpackers and travellers and swapping stories and all of that sort of stuff. It's all very, very well done. Made our way there from 
backpackers from Generator London to Victoria Coach Station. And we were there by 8.45 in the morning for a day-long tour, I was really looking forward to this, of Bath and Stonehenge. Oh, nice. Mm, with Evan Evans Tours. Now, remember I mentioned them in Episode 3? Yep. Yeah, so Creative Holidays organised all of this, Creative Holidays in Australia, and they had a tie-in with Evan Evans, and they have been doing tours for longer than anybody else in the UK, in London. Now, we drove straight to Bath, a journey of around about two and a half hours. Stunning city. Have you been there? Haven't been to Bath, no. Population just under 90,000. Only place in the United Kingdom where the whole city is designated as a World Heritage Site. Not bad. It'll make it a bugger to try and build something new. Oh, yeah. But you... I tell you what, when you get close to it, you just get so excited. You really, I, I, my wife and I, oh, yes, yes, we're going to Bath. It was originally populated by the Romans and it was during the 18th century. Three ambitious local entrepreneurs set out to make Bath one of the most beautiful cities in Europe. And I'm delighted to be able to say, well and truly succeeded. It's nice when a plan goes <laughs> well. We, we only had a couple of hours on the ground there because it was a day-long tour, as I say, Bath and Stonehenge, you had to go from London back to London, etc. So unfortunately, only a couple of hours there, but I would have loved to have had a little bit more time. In the couple of hours we had, we walked around, took in the fine ambience and tasted the great food, including the best baguettes and potatoes in the jacket that I tasted in the UK. I love potatoes in the jacket. It's one of my favourites. I just, I, I wish that we could do it ourselves in the way that they they make maybe that's that's what's special about going out and getting a fine potato in the jacket and as i say a good baguette is is uh, a nice find as well we took a tour of the hot springs spa also toured the jane austen center now mm -hmm. that was really good fun we we dressed up and and we were photographed in period dress or period costume and yeah that was that was kind of kind of outrageous i remember doing it with our kids when the kids were young in Ballarat. And, you know, you took a stern photograph the way they used to it's a couple <laughs> of centuries ago. Uh, well, Jane Austen, I mean, we, we had a bit... I don't think we had such a stern look on our fa faces, but it was still fun. And bear in mind that Jane Austen herself spent five years living and working in Bath from the years 1801 to 1805. I'm just picturing you as Fitzwilliam Darcy. You know? <laughs> I'm just picturing that now. Yeah, look, I, I must show you a photograph. I must get, <laughs> I must, must drag it out of the archive somewhere. But as I say, go to the hot spring, do a tour of the spa, check out the Jane Austen Centre, well worth a look. Then it was, I mean, I think we did pretty well considering we you know, walked around, did those couple of things, then we were back on the bus and back on the coach for the hour-long drive to Stonehenge, which for those people who haven't seen it, I thought it was, was the story behind it is just remarkable. I mean, rem, these, this extraordinary collection of these large rocks, the tallest of which are almost 10 metres high, which is, includes the portion buried beneath the ground. And they weigh almost 50 tonnes. I mean, it's tonnes rather than tonnes there, isn't it? T-O-N-S. They're they, very, very heavy. It doesn't matter well, whether it's tonnes or tonnes. Exactly. 50 of them is incredibly heavy. Well... They were constructed in three phases, dating back 5,000 years. It's also where in their day, Stonehenge, people buried their cremated dead. There you go. I don't know whether you knew that or not. But there's also a suggested link between 
the rock formation and the summer solstice being the longest day of the year and where the sun's rays hit, although the connection between the two is subject to some debate, right? But some people say that it was built in a particular way so when the sun rays hit, there was there, there was a meaning behind it all. The argument goes that the midsummer sun would have been framed by a pair of standing stones as the first rays of dawn shone through a stone corridor into the heart of Stonehenge. But as I say, not everybody agrees with that interpretation. Buses, by the way, ferry people the three minutes to and from the site of the stones from a very well-appointed visitor centre. So... You don't have to walk there. You can get your little bus. And we spent oh, about an hour and a half at Stonehenge. Oh. Yeah, which was you know, half of which were, were with the stones themselves, right? And it was it was great. It was really good. What's so, that like when you wander around there and, and you, you sort of realise, hang on, this was done thousands of years ago. They got it millimetre perfect for the, the longest day of the year for the sun and they did it without a computer. You know, what, what's that like? Well, the first thing I thought about, Chris, was how the heck did they get the stones there? And there's various theories about rolling them and so on, but it would have taken a hell of a lot of effort to get them there. But beyond that, it really is living history. You, you feel like you're at a very, very special location. And it meant a lot to people back in the day. And, of course, it still means a lot today. So you end up, what well, we did, photographing it. We went round and round and circumnavigated Stonehenge and we took still photographs and we took video and we then did it a second time and then we had ourselves in the photograph and so that's what takes the time and in fact if truth be known it was it was getting virtually to the stage where it was very dark and we were the last to leave we didn't want to go no that's not you at all now we thought we, we thought we should sleep Within Cooey of the Stones, maybe. Sleep like the Druids. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Look, it's um, it's a special place. I'm very pleased that we got to see both Bath and Stonehenge. And, in fact, Evan Evans did a great job. The tour guide was terrific on the day. And the, the other aspect of it is we could have even done a bit of a longer day. We got back to London by 7 o'clock that evening. We'd started at 8.45, so it was quite a, a long journey. But... You could also add one of the palaces to this trip and would have made it even a little bit longer than that. So if, if you've only got limited time, I would highly recommend you do get outside London. I mean, if you've got limited time, yes, you spend a lot of time and there's so much to see in the heart of the place. But there's something to be said for, for getting out, seeing the countryside and seeing a couple of very, very special sites such as Bath and Stonehenge. Really enjoyed the, the experience. The London's a very easy place to get out of too, especially if you are a tourist. Uh, and you don't have to, if you're concerned about driving and you don't necessarily want to want to, want to take take the chance on buses. The other thing about Britain is it has a tremendous rail service. Yes. And yes, you can get out of London to, to places like Oxford or you can get down to Epsom, although Epsom's virtually in the the urban sprawl these days. But you can get out to places like that really, really easily by trains. Yep, you can. And in fact, we... I suppose public transport systems around the world, I mean, you could say there's no doubt that many Australian cities are vying for the most hospitable and livable cities in the world. But I suppose that one thing I would say without demeaning our cities is that public transport could be improved somewhat. Yeah, we don't and do it well. We, 
we could do it better. Yes, indeed. And I'll, I mean, I'll, 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 sorry, I'll interrupt again. I'll give Perth a notable exception on that because I think Perth's public transport system is probably the best that I've dealt with in Australia. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I have. I haven't spent a lot of time in Perth in recent years, so I, I, I will leave you to comment about upon that. But the interesting thing to me is how you you go to a city well like Hong Kong, and every couple of minutes there's a train. Mm. Now, yes, the density of population is greater, no question about it. But as the the major cities in Australia in particular are getting towards the numbers that would expect to have greater forms of public transport in greater rapidity, I'd hope that we go down the same route. Because, I mean, the, the trains are very, very crowded. Look, Japan's another place that I thought public transport was great. Oh, you know, it's fantastic there. It's the best I've ever travelled on. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really good. Mind you... Uh, I've been in places where you're literally shoved into the train and you are sweating profusely and you're pressed against other people's bodies. I can't say that's the nicest way to travel. But that's not your bag? No. I, look, <laughs> they, do it, they do it very, very well. And I suppose you don't fall because there's so many people in there. Uh, I didn't experience that in London, by the way. It was, it was most, most enjoyable. By the way, the next morning, we, I said to you that we were checking out different forms of accommodation and we'd stayed in a very, very nice place that I, I'm, I'm pleased that we hadn't tried backpackers for quite a number of years, but I thought it was a really good experience and I'm, I'm not just saying that. I'd gladly, gladly stay there again. I mean, it was terrific. Generator London was really a good place. But we went from there and we went to Go Native Monument Apartments, which was, uh, we sort of, uh, that was our fourth place to have stayed in London. We were there at the end of 2014, and it was launched barely six months earlier, April in that year. 41 apartments in this winding, cobbled lane. They range from studios to a couple of bedrooms, extremely comfortable, fully equipped modern kitchens, dining area, small flat-screen TV, armchair and couch, extremely comfortable bed. Also a number of Art Deco-style objets d'art to add to the ambience of the place so very very fine indeed go native monument apartments situated literally moments away from an imposing column known as the monument one of my favorite tourist points in london was the monument mm. built by sir christopher wren in 1667 following the great fire of london in the hope that the city will rise again i mean i i think it's a terrific column and it's a really lovely place to stay, and if you ever have to meet somebody, it's a very good place to be located <laughs> because they're not going to miss the column, no. right? the monument, they're not. So prices, by the way, to give you some idea, start at £125 per apartment per night. So that's 250 bucks in the heart of London, which is pretty good. I've, I mean, I've paid more than that for accommodation in Sydney. Yeah, well... Yeah, I, did, did, I did I tell you the experience I had in Sydney recently? <laughs> I I if I open this door, will Alex walk through it? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the, the reality is that I could not find accommodation in Sydney and I tried three or four weeks out from when I was staying and I kid you not, for under $500 a night, including three-star accommodation, was that busy. Now, 
I just I thought that was extraordinary. You don't want to know about the offer I got from Scoop on the other day, then, which was no. Uh, yeah. I, no. Central Sydney Service Department for a weekend for I think it was five hundred bucks for, for a whole weekend. That's nice. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. Look, I love. A bit Central. late for you now, but you know. Thank you very much. I I just thought it was uh, yeah it must have been extremely busy and I I rang I I kid you not I rang more than twenty places and it, in the end I said no I'm not going to do this. I ended up doing an Airbnb, tried it for the first time, mm-hmm. and it was a good experience, very good experience. But it's it's a different kind of experience because, uh, in fact, I shared accommodation when I went to Sydney on that occasion. And it was interesting because this guy who I stayed with was fantastic, really nice disposition. He used to be in the finance world, and he was just trying his hand at something a bit different. Okay. So, so he turned his apartment, which was in the heart of the city, over to Airbnb, so one larger room and had an ensuite was one of the apartments that he was letting out and the other one or renting out the other one was where I was staying and basically I shared a bathroom with him and he had converted part of his kitchen into his own accommodation so three groups of people arguably were staying there in this <laughs> relatively small apartment but it was great he, he gave me a map just in case i didn't know how to get around sydney he was extremely hospitable gave me a key and yeah i i, I rated him very very highly because if somebody had come from overseas and been greeted by somebody like that they would have gained a very very favorable first impression Good so stuff. there you go but look generally speaking when I am in Sydney, it does not cost $500 and you, you can get – well, I mean, I usually – to give you some idea, I usually go for something around about the four-star accommodation level and upwards and I can usually get something between two and 300 bucks. Yeah. You know, that's – these days in capital cities, that's about the going rate. So I, it's a long way of going back to £125 per apartment per night brand new place i mean you know as i say was six months old i thought that was fabulous you know that's where prices started and to book a stay at go native monument and remember the the word monument because of the monument go native monument go to www.gonative.co.uk so www.gonative.co.uk or for those people who want to write it down i'm even going to give you a telephone number 020-7313-3886. That's 020-7313-3886. Obviously, if you are in Australia, you have to dial the country code and then the zero gets dropped off. But there we go. So that's where we went to. Now, that evening, we attended a pantomime-like production titled Mrs. Hudson's Christmas Corker at Wilton's Music Hall. You've got to be blessed when you go to London during pantomime season because yes. it, it's only about four or six weeks of the year leading up to Christmas and, and you just get so many good shows. Well, it featured four actors, three members of the band, a spoof involving Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson at the oldest and last surviving Grand Music Hall in the world. There you go. Mrs. Hudson's Christmas Corker at Wilton's Music Hall. That's Hudson with an H. Yes, yes. And Wilton's, by the way, was a pub or alehouse in the 18th century, a Methodist mission and a warehouse. There you go. All for the price of one. Excellent. And, exactly. And 
and it's been producing shows regularly since the year 2004. So that was our introduction back into London, which was kind of nice. Now, it was it was great. We By the way, the, the following day, we made our way to Trafalgar Square, which was our central point. I'd mentioned that again in episode three, where we bought a few little souvenirs before picking up tickets for the hop-on, hop-off, open-top bus tour. Now, we could have done this the other way around, and instead of walking around, we could have done, and I think that's a great way to do things, by the way, Chris, do the open-top bus tour or a bus tour of some sort to, to, if you like, find your bearings in a new city. And you can do a half-day tour or whatever it might be, and then, and it's, because it's hop-on, hop-off, you can step off at any time and then step back on, or you can do an hour circuit and then you know, do it again and stop where you wanted to. But it covers the major inner city landmarks of London over a couple of hours. And, you know, I would highly recommend the hop-on, hop-off bus tours. Then we had to go to Harrods, didn't we? I mean, awash with people. We saw the memorial to Princess Diana and Dodi Al-Fayed, and that, that was pleasant, nice. I mean, you know, I'm pleased that they've done something there. And, and then we visited the food hall. And... In the food hall at Harrods, dangerous. Yes, particularly impressive were the well was the diversity and colour of the tea section. I thought that was really nice, and the beautiful arrangement of the chocolates and sweets. I, I, I'm afraid I couldn't go past that. I, it was really it was good. I mean, when you're in London, you've got to at least visit Harrods, even if you, uh, you know, you can only. Uh, barely scratch the surface in a short space of time, you should set, set foot inside there. But So that was good. And then that afternoon, late afternoon, we, we went to the London Eye to experience the city by night. The, the rotation of that giant wheel in the pods hold about 20 people each, each pod. It takes about 20 or so minutes. And, of course, spectacular view. Yeah, I've done a couple of these observation wheels. They are they are a great way to see sites that you're not necessarily going to actually get up to, up close and personal with. Well, I, I think it's terrific, especially when you're, they're right in the heart of the city and you get to see the grand view when you get to the very top. And it's very slow moving. So, I mean, uh, along the way, before you know you're up the top, you're not even cognizant of the fact that you've, you've travelled that distance. But you're also up there, as I say, for 20 or so minutes. So most worthwhile, I would highly recommend it. And I suppose that by now it's become one of the great attractions in London. And there's so much to see and do, as I've already mentioned to you. By the way, that leads me seeing and doing. We um, we went to, back to Go Native Monument, which was where we were staying. And I, I spoke about that in the past few moments or minutes. But I thought I was going to do something very, very smart. And this is by way of a tip, folks. What we decided to do is because everybody else was eating sort of Christmas turkeys and puddings and whatever, we reached December 25 and we thought, ah, this would be a wonderful place, wonderful day to to take a journey away from a city and move somewhere else because there <laughs> won't be a lot of people around. Uh, so, so, some cities, yeah. Some, maybe not so well, much. Okay, this is, this, is what, this is why we made a mistake. Now, we've just raved about the great public transport system in London, and it is. It's absolutely magnificent. To our great disappointment, there are no trains operating to Heathrow on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, which is where we... Heathrow's not exactly central London either. No, no, it's not. So basically we had no way to get from our accommodation 
at Go Native Monument, which is 14 Lovett Lane, to, well, Victoria Coach Station, other than a taxi, from where a coach departs for Heathrow at 8 o'clock in the morning. And basically, you, we phoned around all the taxi companies the previous day, and the cheapest cab that would carry a couple of pieces of large luggage and two ca carry-on pieces was was upwards of 160 bucks. Now, <laughs> so we basically got stung by my wisdom, my wisdom saying, oh, darling, it'll be great to travel on Christmas Day. People don't do that. <laughs> they don't do it for a reason, right? So anyway, it was fine. But it, it, look, you live and learn. And we decided to actually get a cab directly <laughs> to the airport. So that's what we did. And uh, good on the gentleman who was working that day. And uh, uh, by the way... I bet he loved you. No, no, no. We, we got caught again. Now, okay, you we found out when we arrived at the airport <laughs> that he doesn't take credit cards. And I didn't have enough. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to race around at the airport to change money to pay the cabbie. And meanwhile, the meter would be ticking and ticking and ticking because the cabbie's not going to sit there with the meter off. He was very reasonable. Oh, OK. He was very reasonable. Uh, you know, again, given the predicament, it was just I got myself into a flat because I just I hadn't counted on it. You know, it was just I, I just think I mean, th these things have there are episodes every time you travel. I'm and just trying to think I got caught somewhere once where I was assured that the cabs would take cards would take credit cards and I was Dubai I was getting back to my hotel in Dubai and I'd been assured that the cabs would take your card yeah. and the cabbies wouldn't take the card and we had to run around because I didn't have any Dubai cash at all mm. um, so yeah we had to run around for uh, for about 10 minutes to try and find an ATM so yeah similar predicament well the interesting thing is we had US dollars but he wanted pounds understandably so you know I mean, because otherwise he would have had to change it and so on and so forth. But look, it was fine. As I say, the only piece of advice is if you are thinking of travelling on a public holiday, check first to see the means of transportation that you anticipate will be available. Ah, Now, I'm not sure whether it's only Christmas Day or, for example, maybe maybe Easter. Could it be another day? I, you'd have to check mm. before you do that. And I'm not just talking about in London, I'm talking about wherever you go. No, and the holidays differ too. Holidays differ in, in their seriousness and, or solemnity and, and, and yeah, various places depending on, on, on you know where you are and what the reason for the holiday is. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's, now, that's a great tip. You also have uh, have something up your sleeve. So what, what's your tip, Chris? Okay, so we're done with London. Um, as as I've, we've mentioned on a couple of uh, editions of Travel First, I'm about to head to the US and... Uh, travel to the southwestern US. Uh, we are recording this, what, in May 2016. People, if they go and check the currency charts, might realise that the Aussie dollar has taken a bit of a hit in recent weeks. Um, I, 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 in my radio job, had heard from a few people in the economic sphere saying that there was going to be, the Aussie dollar was going to take a bit of a tumble. So when my wife and I were in Sydney a few days ago, uh, we were uh, actually at Sydney Airport for... Um, no particular reason, but we were there. And I noticed the exchange windows, the, the currency exchange windows. There's TravelX and there's ANZ. And I just thought, well, I wonder what the difference is between using TravelX at one of their booths 
and mm-hmm. TravelX online. So I had a look, and the difference was online we could get the Aussie dollar was going to buy us 74.02 US cents. Mm-hmm. Now, this was compared to the official exchange rate at the day, which I think was about 75 and a half. Of so, course. So, so the online margin was about one and a half cents. Mm-hmm. At the booth at Sydney Airport, 71.68. Yeah, well, that's usually the case, though, at airports, isn't it? It is. Now, I accept that if you, now, if we were travelling that day, I wouldn't have been entirely thrilled by the fact that if I'd looked and seen it online, there was over two cents, 2.34 cents difference between the two. But I thought, why don't we ask? So mm. we went to the counter because we, we, we're, it's only a couple of weeks until we go. So we thought, let's try and take advantage of this. I'm, I was quite happy to do it online. You can do it mm. online. And a few days later, you can go and pick up your cash from your nearest TravelX. And there's a couple of those not too far from where I live anyway. So that's all good. But I asked and I said, can you do a better rate? Mm-hmm. And the guy behind the counter looked at me quizzically for a minute and said, uh, yes, I can. How much do you want to change? And I said, how much? And, so, and he thought about it for a minute. He said, well, I'll give you... And I think he said 73. Wow. Okay. Now, at that point, I then pulled out my phone. I said, just hang on a second. Pulled out my phone, had a look. And I said, yeah, online, you're doing 7402. And he mm-hmm. said, well, I can't do 7402. And I said, oh, that's fine. I'll do it online. I'll get a home and I'm traveling for a couple of weeks. And he said, hang on a second. I'll ring my boss. Yes. Very <laughs> and, nice. And to his credit, he picked up the phone. He rang his boss. I couldn't hear the conversation because he was in his you know, secure glass booth, so I couldn't hear what he was saying at that point. And then he said, uh, if you'll do another 500, I'll give you 74. Wow, okay. So how much did you have to change in the end, though? 1000 bucks? 1500 Yeah, I mean, it's good. And a lot of people don't want to change that much money. No. I, w- I was looking to, to change about 1000 I mean, look, I'm going to be in the States for 16 days on the ground. So mm-hmm. I'm going to need cash. I mean, I'm one of these people. And I, I assume you're similar. You like to have a bit of a, a bit of currency. But I'm, sure. I'm one of these people who just says, well, if I've got to pay 3% extra and do it on my credit sure. card, I'll pay the 3% extra because it saves a lot of mucking around. But this guy, because we then did the 1500 he yeah. he gave us the 74 so he missed out on 0.02 of a cent, which, you know, <laughs> I can live with that. Good uh, man. He did have, he, he did still charge the commission fee, but he only charged us half the commission. So in the end, it cost me about twenty bucks more mm-hmm. to change fifteen hundred dollars, but I got virtually the identical rate. Yes. I got the money instantly. Well, the moral of the story is: don't be afraid to ask these guys. Just because they've got the big neon signs with the numbers there, those numbers are not set in stone. And if you stand your ground, and if you've got a bit of time up your sleeve you can get a better deal. And that's something that I, I honestly, if I was travelling that weekend, I would have just jumped in and taken the cash. I would yeah, have thought I, I should have done it sooner. Are too are too polite almost. And I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with being polite, but, you know, you don't, you don't get if you don't ask kind of thing. And the best thing I ever did when it came to changing money, remember when the Aussie dollar was $1.10 to the US $1? Yeah, I was very lucky. I had an overseas trip at around that time. So, yeah, I, I don't think I quite got the dollar ten, but I got pretty close to it. Well, you know how it's virtually impossible to pick the, the top or the bottom of the market? You, you, you never know, of course. I mean, it, it's a game. It's a bit of a lottery, literally. We got it. This was the only time in my life we picked the zenith. And I said to my wife, look, let us change $5,000, right? Which we did because... It's, we were we knew that we were going to go away in the not too distant future, mm-hmm. and we changed five thousand Aussie dollars and got five thousand five hundred US. And the funny thing was, 
we ended up not going for quite a number of years. And then the Aussie dollar really plummeted. And the funny thing is it plummeted to around about 70 cents. So if I had changed it then, one US dollar, sorry, one Australian dollar would have got 70 US cents. So, so you would have got about 3,500 instead of 5,500. Correct, correct. $2,000 we would have dropped, Chris. I mean, this is when, you know, the dollar or two, you don't mind, the 10 or 20 bucks, you don't mind. But when you're into the thousands, you do. And, you know, I know it's great for exporters and all of that sort of stuff when, when the dollar, the Aussie dollar plummets. But if you're a traveller and you've seen it during the good times, I mean, look, that, that shouldn't hold you back. But it makes you think whether you can spend three weeks away rather than just two is obviously going to be spending more money. You've actually raised a really good point there too, Alex. That, and obviously you travel quite a bit. Uh, you, know, you don't become a travel writer without doing uh, a bit of travel. So you knew that at some stage you'd have another trip coming up. But if yes. you are planning a trip, even if it's a trip and you know you're going to take it, you haven't got anything booked in, but you know you're going to take it, and if the dollar is high and if you're hearing the commentary, and that was the thing, that's what I was saying, prior to the budget, prior to the election being called and prior to a, what was a really widely forecast interest rate drop in Australia, everyone was saying the dollar is going to drop. It is going to drop. And I think since we made our changes, dropped by six cents. So, again, multiplied out of that, that out across 1,500, and you're talking about nearly 100 bucks. Well, but the interesting thing is that I remember in the last few years, and it's been reasonably flat now, the interest rate drop, as you mentioned, over the last few years, people have said, oh, gee, interest rates, oh, we'll never see the likes of these again. You better lock in your interest rates. And since people have said that, it's dropped another percent. You know, it, it's, it's just oh, 100 basis points, as they say. It's so difficult to pick because it's, it's um, I, I love economists dearly, but the economist's excuse is, oh, well, nobody could have predicted that, to which I say, well, hang on, isn't that your job? You know, it's it's a very funny thing, and I no, I, I mean it. I I you work, pair them up with the weather bureau. <laughs> yeah, look, I love, no, no, I I understand. It's very very hard to, to to pick, and we just just because they're professionals at it, we expect them to do better. I suppose that's that's the the vicissitudes of life. Call it that. It, it's like the sporting contest. It's like Leicester City winning the English Premier League. Who would have thunk it, as they say? And yet. The, the beauty of it, at 5,000 to 1, it happened. Y you are gambling, but you're gambling with your own money when you're changing your money. So, I mean, one of the other things that you can do, and these days you can get money cards and all sorts of other things. One, one thing I don't like doing is changing a little amount of money and then being charged a big commission for doing yeah, so. absolutely. Because if you change 100 bucks and you're paying a $10 commission, you've already lost, you know, a tenth of your money. So that's before you even convert. So better to change a few hundred dollars at a time. So even if it's 500 bucks, if you're going to be there for a few days, obviously judge that according to how many days you're going to spend in each city. This is the challenge of travel overall, though. How long is the right time, the right amount of time to stay in any one city? The way we did this eight-week trip, basically most places we were staying off three or four nights at a time. And so we were moving around constantly. I've got a mate of mine who said, no, no, I'd much rather get to know a city. I'd much rather spend two or three weeks in one city or perhaps four or five weeks in a country visiting two or three places. So 
you've, you've got to make a decision. There are so many great places to see around the world. You've got to prioritise those and then determine whether you really want to get to know a city or just see the highlights of a place and then either rely upon somebody like Creative Holidays, go in there, speak to the knowledgeable people who've been to those locales, speak to friends of yours and get good advice. Don't just land in a city and hope that the amount of time you've allowed is going to be enough or is too much. So, you know, that's just the final word with regards to a travel tip on episode five of Travel First. And Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great fun. And it's funny how you're sitting here giving people advice on travel because I thought that was our job was to give people advice on travel. But, you know, we'll do it again next week. Let's do that. See you then. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.